tonight and take it away, Mike. Uh, you're free to do whatever. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Well, great again. What a great atmosphere tonight. Thank you, worship team. Absolutely wonderful. And thank you for returning, coming back. You've been overloaded. You had so much stuff. <laughs> Hard to take it all in. I don't come down a lot, so got lots to share. When we do the meetings with, uh, with, with James, they'll be, a bit, they'll be different. They're not kind of focused on being a teaching meeting and equipping. It's more about just uh, bringing the power of God to bring people into freedom. So we'll touch on some of the topics, of course, but they'll be done differently because they'll be about now people coming wanting freedom. And so the focus is, in, is on building the atmosphere for, for God to move and touch people. And you'll find that I'll run the meetings. or I'll, I'll do it differently than what I do them here. Hmm? Come along. There you go. Okay, then. Now, why don't you open your Bible with me in uh, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And uh, we want to, I want to speak tonight on cleansing from sexual defilement. Cleansing from sexual defilement. And, uh, and so, yeah, you may feel a bit uncomfortable if we talk about it. We just got to, church has got to be able to speak on these areas and help people and have answers. Otherwise, there's all these things go underground and people are troubled, very deeply troubled. Pastors, uh, people in ministry, sometimes people in very senior places wrestling with hidden darkness and not knowing what to do because church isn't just straight up front and saying, hey, we've got answers for these things. And uh, so I want to just read, and we're going to look here in this uh, passage in Luke chapter 4. And uh, we, touched, we read it before, but we're going to read it again. And uh, in verse 31, Jesus went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and was teaching them in the, in the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. And now in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. He cried out with a loud voice. Demons, when they react, often are sort of aggressive and noisy. They've got a, an irritating sound, demanding sound. Leave us alone. That's the devil's prayer. Leave us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet, come out of him. And the demon, of course, resisted that, but he had to obey it. He threw him in the midst and came out of him and did not hurt him. And everyone was amazed, saying, and spoke among themselves, what word is this with authority and power? He commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. They come out. So you notice in the story, it's one of the early uh, ministries of Jesus, and you notice a number of things. First of all, he's in the synagogue. He's in a church environment, and uh, there's a person, and he's teaching in the synagogue. Now, there are different ways that deliverance can be ministered. The most common way we would minister it is by the operation of faith, by preparing people through the Word of God, then by confront, having an altar call confront the demons. We can also move in deliverance uh, with the anointing, where there's a flow of the gifts of the Spirit, the presence of God comes very strongly, things begin to happen. And then there's a greater realm again, where the heaven opens up and, the, and God invades the place with his person, and the glory of God is there. And then stuff happens everywhere, and we're really trying to catch up and declare what God is doing, rather than making it happen. And so those are layers and levels. And with each of these dimensions of the Spirit, there are various layers as well. Now, Jesus has just finished a season of prayer and fasting and has returned in power. So as he's ministering in the synagogue now, the atmosphere is filled with the presence of God. And that's what flushes up the demons. 
So it can happen when you're in the street. It can happen casually when you're just with people. It can happen when you're just sharing or speaking the Word of God. You never know when these things are going to happen. But because of the level of anointing, it is flushed into view what was hidden. And what was hidden was a group of spirits. The strong man there was an unclean spirit. So we're dealing with a spirit of lust of some kind, sexual sin of some kind. And the man is struggling in his personal life. He's going through cycles of, I'm sorry, God, please restore me, and trying to walk with God. And then temptation and sin is coming again, and he's falling back into an old cycle. And then, I'm sorry, God, he's back in. So he's in a cycle of sin, and it is empowered and driven by a demonic spirit and, and possibly other issues in his heart from his background. And this is a very common problem. And we need to understand there are dimensions of defilement people can experience. So God has designed us for intimacy. When he shaped us and formed us, he made us in his own image. God is a relational God. He's created us a spirit being, able to access God and bring the life of God into the earth. He's made us a spirit being living in a body. So we have a physical body that we can express the life of God in the earth. Uh, we have abilities to connect to the physical realm, connect to the spirit realm. And God's desire is firstly, we would be intimate with him. And we'll talk on that tomorrow. And secondly, out of that intimacy, we would then be able to express the love and nature of God to people. And one of the deepest forms of doing that is through the sexual union of a man and a woman. So the Bible describes that the covenantal relationship and intimacy between a husband and wife is to be a reflection in the earth of the relationship God has with us. God's relationship with us is covenantal, not casual. Covenantal, not casual. God never has casual relationships. His relationships with us are all through covenant. And so when we enter into a relationship with God, it's not a casual relationship, although some people treat it that way. It is covenantal, a deep covenantal bond. That's the nature of God's relationship. And marriage is meant to reflect that. Christ and the church, the husband and the wife. Now, we won't go into all the marriage things. I want to just talk through the area of defilement. So sexual intimacy then is our ability or a gift God has given us of being able to intimately connect with another person, to know them and become known by that person. Sexual, uh, the ability to relate sexually to another person, to our spouse, is a gift God gives us to be able to express love to them. The, the gift of sexual intimacy is a gift that brings a bonding together. So 1 Corinthians 6, the two become one. Genesis 2, the two become one flesh. So many people don't understand that sexual relationship is not just physical. The media and the world presents it as physical, like having a meal. Just hungry, eat. And just choose whatever you want to eat. That's the approach of the world. Nothing could be further from the truth. The, the act of sexual intimacy with another person involves your body, but it also involves your soul, and it also involves your spirit. Every aspect of you is engaged in that act that you do. 
And so there is dramatic effects on us through sexual intimacy. I want to read something from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, let's see if I can find it here. And 1 Corinthians 6. And here it is around about verse 16. And, uh, and then it, it says in verse 15, Don't you know your bodies are members of Christ. That means your body is an expression of Christ in the earth. Shall I take the member of Christ or shall I take my body and then join them to a prostitute? And he says, or do you not know that whoever's joined to a harlot uh, is one flesh with her for the two become one flesh. Whoever is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Now notice now drawing a parable our relationship with the Lord is a spirit-to-spirit -spirit union through which God's life flows. Our relationship sexually is a flesh union, but there's a bonding takes place. So sexual intimacy is designed for giving and receiving love and also for bonding one with another. And uh, so it's saying then we need to then flee sexual sin. Because, and that's what it says then, it says, don't you realize, flee sexual sin, for every sin a man does is outside the body, but whoever commits sexual immorality sins against or literally into his own body. So it's saying there very clearly that sexual sin differs from other sins because everything else you do is done and it's outside you. It doesn't enter you and defile you. But sexual sin, there is an exchange. There's a life exchange takes place. So it's unlike any other sin in that there's an impact internally on you. And it affects your capacity to be intimate if it's unlawfully done. It affects your ability to be intimate with God. And so when you follow, and I won't go into these things, if you look through the Bible, you will find over and over and over again when men of God had a call to serve God and bring God's power and his kingdom into the earth, that one of the ways they were taken down was through idolatry and sexual intimacy. Either sexual intimacy, then idolatry, or idolatry, then sexual intimacy. They always go hand in hand. When you look at idolatry in the Bible, it's always connected to sexual perversions. We're going to touch on that just in a moment, and I'll teach a little bit about that. So uh, we'll share just how some of the things we're seeing in our society are not new things. They are the emergence of the old gods of the Bible. They're expressing themselves in the earth in trying to promote it as being normal, when in fact, actually, it's seducing people to become defiled by demons. So we start off that God created sex, designed it to be pleasurable for our enjoyment, to bring also to bring honor to him. And so there's a unique ability in sexual intimacy for the spirit of one person to flow and bring blessing to another. But if their soul and heart have been polluted by other relationships, then there is a major problem in that. And that's what we want to address tonight, how we can be free from sexual defilement. Okay, now, so sexual defilement affects our ability to cultivate and deepen intimacy. Here's how it affects us. It affects us in a number of ways. The first is through ungodly soul ties. And I use the word soul tie. I just call it usually myself an ungodly attachment. When two people are involved sexually or have a deep sexual connection of some kind, 
may not even be penetration, but it's sexual intimacy, there is a bonding or joining. Even literally the opening of your heart at a deep level to another will cause bonding to take place. There is just a law God put in place. That law is a good law. It's a law to bless you that if you're sexually intimate, then you will bond with that person you're intimate with, and that bonding is real. So if there's no covenant to protect that relationship and you separate, then something is going to affect you on the inside very deeply. So the first thing we see is that sexual union bonds or attaches you with soul ties. They can be godly attachments if there's a covenantal commitment. They're ungodly and leave you open to demonic defilement if the sexual relationship is not with a marriage partner. Ungodly soul ties. Secondly, there are defiling memories and emotions and desires stirred up. So you can't enter into sexual intimacy with someone without having pictures and images which are very intense because of the feelings associated with it. The stronger the feeling, the more embedded the memory becomes. And so if you've had sexual partners with, or sexual intimacy with other people, there not only is there attachment, there are memories of that experience. You can't just wipe them out. And as we'll see in a moment, demonic spirits stir them. They access them and stir them up. So when you're having sexual intimacy with your spouse, the memories will come back. They just flood back until we confront them and deal with the spirits that use them to defile the marriage. Uh, thirdly, there is reactions. There are reactions that take place. What happens if you are joined to another person in a sexual relationship and the relationship broke, breaks up? There's grief because you are looking and expecting something permanent or something loving, and then there's a grief out of that broken relationship. Often there's a deep rejection, and either the girl or the boy feels very used. So they've now got emotions they never had before. The feeling of rejection, sometimes anger over how it all ended up, sometimes unforgiveness and bitterness turns up in the heart. The Bible tells us in... Uh, in uh, Proverbs chapter 5, it talks about the seduct. It's using the picture of a woman seducing a man, but it's actually the seduction of sin. And it, said, it says, the lips are sweeter than honey, and the words are like oil. And, but it says, it's smooth as oil, but it says the end is bitter. Yeah. So the Bible tells us that the end of sexual sin is always bitter. It's a warning in the Bible. It never ends well. It ends up with bitterness, the bitterness of being disappointed and hurt. And so people now are no longer the way they were before. There is a connection and attachment to someone. Uh, there are memories and pictures that they have. There are emotions stirred up, including fear of being intimate again. What may happen to me? So these are very real things. They don't just go away. They're very real because the last experience was painful and now there's a fear it might be like this again. So these are problems that come. And then people react to those feelings by building walls in their hearts so they can't be hurt again. So when they enter into a marriage relationship, they're not pure in that sense that they're undefiled. They're actually defiled by the previous experiences. But that's not all. We see in the, in the story here that the man had been defiled by demonic spirits. He's got unclean spirits in his life. 
So another aspect of sexual intimacy outside marriage is the potential to have demonic spirits enter you to defile you. And you start to then come under the bondage of unclean spirits. Now, and this is, this is where people get into trouble is they then find they're wrestling inside with things they can't seem to get over. Now, it's not just a spirit of lust and not just uh, other unclean spirits. What happens is you have brought yourself under a spiritual power called Jezebel. Now, I can't use time tonight to go into this too far, but throughout the Bible from Babylon right through the whole of the Old Testament, you will find there was worship of the Queen of Heaven. Uh, in the days of Elijah, of course, they worshipped Baal and Ashtaroth, and uh, uh, Jezebel, of course, was a woman. She was the daughter of the high priest of Baal, and uh, she was therefore a worshipper of Baal, and uh, she joined in a marriage alliance to King Ahab, and then there was a partnership formed, and she began to draw him away into Baal, the worship of Baal and Ashtoreth. But ultimately, the spirit of Jezebel is a principality called the Queen of Heaven, and it controls and manipulates many, many different forms of spirits. When you examine the, the worship of these gods, you find that always there were temple prostitutes, male and female. So, so the worship of Ashtoreth and Baal involved temple prostitutes, male and female, and many of those dressed up or cross-dressed. So the god that they worshipped then was called the god who makes men into women. Wow. Isn't it incredible, isn't it? Wow. And, and so uh, people would go there and there would be homosexual acts, there would be all kinds of acts take place, and that was all part of worshipping the gods and goddesses of fertility. And uh, I won't go into much more than that, but I encourage you to do a little bit of research. So we see then that the emergence of a homosexual agenda, the emergence of transgender, all of these things are empowered by the old gods that are found in the Bible and were a trouble all the way through history. We find when, God could, when, the, when the enemy couldn't curse uh, Israel, then the way they seduced them in Numbers 25 was they just sent thousands, thousands, thousands of women. Literally, all the young women from the Moabites were sent into the camp of the Israelites to seduce them into sexual sin and then lead them to idolatry. It says there were 20, more than 21,000 fell. That means there's a lot of sex going on. This is not just a couple of women went in to, to do something. This is actually, they have mobilized women as a weapon of war to come and seduce the nation and lead them into sin. And once they got into sexual sin, it turned into idolatry, and then God's judgment came on them. That was the sin of Balaam. He gave that counsel. You can't, I can't curse them, but here's how you can sort them out. So you see that kind of story through the Bible. We see it with Samson, who was called to be a judge. He was called to judge Israel. That means to teach them the law, the ways of God, and the judges of Israel were called to be deliverers. So the calling of a judge is not just teach people the way of God, truth encounter. It was also power encounter to deliver them from their enemies. And instead, he was drawn away into sexual relationships. And you know the story how the result of that was he first of all lost his separation to God, his holiness, his purity. 
He then lost his hair, his covering, it symbolized his set-apartness to God and the covering over his life, and then lost his vision, lost his strength, lost the anointing, and ended up in bondage. Now, these stories like that are stories that give insight to the thread of idolatry and sexual sin running right through the Old Testament. So we can't just look out and think this is a modern problem. Not a modern problem. This was a massive problem all through the Bible. This is the very reason that the people were dispossessed from the land of Canaan, because of all the things that they did. So homosexuality and the transgender representation and the whole worship of the spirits behind it were the core of the corruption that Jezebel brought in. So when you are engaging, when you look at the whole, some areas of sexual sin, when you begin to enter into and participate in sexual sin, you are starting to enter into a kingdom of darkness just like they did through the Bible. It will destroy your love for God and your capacity to be intimate and create ongoing pressures and bondages in your life. So, so these are interesting things, aren't they? So there you go. So, and you can study those and have a look at yourself. So in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Do not defile the marriage bed. The marriage is to be held in honor by all. In other words, we are to regard marriage and the covenant of marriage as something of high value. We need to be reminded of that. The Bible directs us, value marriage, value the marriage covenant. It's not just, it's being neglected today and the church is not standing up strongly on the need for covenantal relationships. And uh, so it says, uh, marriage is to be held in honor by all, something of high value, and the marriage bed undefiled. In other words, do not let anything contaminate the marriage relationship. And he's talking primarily about the marriage bed. So putting another way, he's saying, value marriage covenant and the purity of, of commitment to one another and make sure you don't allow sexual intimacy in marriage to become defiled. The marriage bed defiled means that what is done in the marriage bed brings about defilement of something God said is very holy and is to represent him. No idea? Okay, well, we'll get down and be very practical on this in just a moment. Okay, so... So how does the marriage bed get defiled? And here's the problem is many people enter into marriage hoping they will get something, but they're broken because of previous sexual experiences and then they're now searching to get something. Pressure comes on the marriage that makes it get into troubles, many, many different troubles because of these hidden expectations. So let me just give you how then the marriage bed is defiled or what people bring in that creates problems in their marriage. So if you're going to be married to someone, you want to then make sure that they have got cleaned up all their previous sexual history or they bring it like baggage into the marriage. It will hinder intimacy. It will create difficulties in intimacy. It'll create ongoing issues and problems. And then the marriage ends up becoming a loveless marriage. And so that's not what God intends for us. So let me just go through some, and here are some areas how it's defiled. So number one, previous sexual experiences. Previous sexual experiences, and particularly fornication. The Bible talks about fornication, uh, sexual sin. We just see there how to flee sexual sin. The word sexual sin there, fornication, uh, refers to the word porneia. 
from which pornography comes. So it's every kind of sexual engagement which violates honoring another person. So I teach young men, if you are sexually liberal with a woman without a covenantal commitment, you violate her. You actually undermine her honor. You're dishonoring her and you're defrauding her by leading her on with the expectation of love and you're using her to fulfill lust. Lust takes, love gives. Love is patient, so forth. Okay, so previous sexual sin. So previous sexual sin, as we mentioned, there's soul ties, there's memories, there's reactions, and there's wounds in the soul. In Proverbs 5, have a look at that. We'll go back to Proverbs 5. And so I'm sharing these so that when you minister, you don't just pray a simple prayer. You actually look for the damage that has been done, that you undo the damage in your ministry. And uh, so here in Proverbs chapter 5, let's uh, read 5. And um, let's see if I can get it here. Proverbs chapter 5. And we read in verse 3 and 4. And it's talking then, as I mentioned before. And it says, uh, Proverbs 5, there we are, 3 and 4. And it said, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, <laughs> and her mouth is much smoother than oil, but the end is bitter as wormwood. So he's describing now just sexual sin. And uh, he's using the image of a, uh, of a uh, immoral woman as the source of that sin. Sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell, lest you ponder her path of her life, her ways are unstable. Now, so I won't go into it all, but I just want to see this, that it starts off sweet but ends up bitter. And notice the path goes to death and hell. Why would it say that when it feels so good? It's because you are... <clears throat> starting to draw into two, two powers. One is called death. It's a spiritual power. It's a spirit being. And what it does is it causes people to become numbed and disconnected. Think about that. And the second one is hell, which causes people to feel torments, anger, grief, bitterness, fear, all those kinds of things. And God, that's why God doesn't want us to go down on that route. That's why he puts us a marriage covenant. It's designed to get the best out of intimacy, not to destroy it. And so, uh, so it, it, the de- down, and there's other, other verses like that. We go over to Proverbs, say, chapter 7. I've got a new Bible. I haven't got anything marked in this one, <laughs> except some things I'm reading at the moment. Proverbs 7. And why don't we go down to about verse 25? Uh, verse 24. Now, children, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray to her past. She has cast down many wounded. So it brings about all who were slain by her were strong men. So the warning is very clear. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. So notice then the language is one of it's a way of drawing you in to a place of bondage. And again, uses the death and hell as spiritual uh, entities that cause you to live in bondage and not free to connect. And so sexual intimacy is robbed. So the marriage bed is defiled then by previous sexual experiences such as sexual sin outside marriage. The marriage bed is defiled by bitterness. It's defiled by bitterness. Hebrews 12, 15, bitterness is a root that defiles. So frequently people bring bitterness out of experiences they've had before marriage 
and with that judgments against men or judgments against women and wars in the heart. So bitterness that is brought in, and it, it starts off with there's an attraction to the other person, then what's in the heart begins to poison the relationship. These are serious things. So I have had to deal with these so frequently. Previous sexual abuse will defile the marriage. Previous sexual abuse. So it shouldn't be covered. It should be healed. And sadly, many people come into marriage and they've been abused. Young men that have been sexually abused and then have trouble with their wives and relating to them and loving them and honoring them and bringing also some of the things that were done to them into the marriage. And then young women coming in and they're coming into marriage, but already they've been traumatized by what they've experienced. In 2 Samuel 13 verse 20, it says Tamar was uh, raped by her half-brother and it said she remained desolate in the house of her father. That word means numbed or in a state of emotional shock. And that tells you then that sexual abuse, which is highlighted through pornography and through the media and so on, it actually leads to the person being traumatized and numbed and unable to enter into intimacy. And, and th these are serious things. That's why we want to understand how to deal with it. Desolate means to grow numb or make desolate. In other words, the spirit of death has come around the heart. So sexual abuse is a traumatic experience. And the trauma level depends on how young it began, who the person was, how long it went on, and all the things. There's many levels and layers of it. And sometimes it's gone on for a long time, and the person learned to disconnect if you've learned to disconnect and dissociate when someone's doing something to you, it becomes difficult to connect and allow your heart and spirit to embrace and bless your partner. So that's why this is, creates these problems. We've got to get people healed. There's emotional numbness and fear and usually control, which is an outworking of Jezebel sitting around the heart and life. And of course, the person gets defiled by the demons. And when demons defile a person, they energize. They energize issues in your life. They energize unclean images and pictures. They energize unclean desires. And so when unclean spirits are in a person, there's a constant pressure working against them. And it works with a twofold hit. One, the introduction of these pictures and desires. And two, condemnation that you're thinking those things. And that works to destroy your boldness and your ability to really engage God and operate and move in the spirit. That's why it needs to be addressed because of what it does, how it affects you. So, so people become imprisoned by these experiences. Another area of defilement is oral and anal sex. In Hebrews 13 verse 4, uh, it talks a little bit about these things. But uh, I looked up the definition, for example, of sodomy in the Bible and uh, not in the Bible, I looked it up in the dictionary, and it refers to anal sex or oral sex or sex with an animal. That's how it's defined. And so this is a big problem because of the introduction of pornography. This has become very widespread. So sodomy is the practice then of both anal sex and oral sex. Now, when you look into the Bible, you've got to be careful you don't call things sin that the Bible doesn't say is sin, but you can look at principles in it. And uh, so uh, the Bible speaks very clearly about sodomy. And uh, it talks then in Leviticus 18. We just go and read it through there. Leviticus 18. Now there's lots of contention and arguments around all of these verses and what they may mean. 
for me, it's pretty simple. <laughs> so just read it, Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18, and uh, here it is, and uh, verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. Neither shall mate with any animal to defile yourself with it, nor shall any man stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. So you notice there the word defilement. Because for all these, the nations are defiled. I'm casting them out before you. The land is defiled. And I will visit the punishment of its iniquity upon the land which vomits out its inhabitants. So he's basically saying that the land you're going into, there is widespread practice of idolatry, including uh, sexual practices which are unclean. Prostitution by males and females in the worship of their God. So he's saying it's a bad practice that defiles. So the marriage bed can be defiled when men, usually it's men, introduce anal sex into the marriage. Now, they may have been abused, they may have been exposed to pornography, but there is a spirit of perversion behind it. And, uh, and so it creates many, many problems. It's contrary to natural design, firstly. It just actually, the body is not designed for that. The anus is designed as a garbage disposal, not as an entry point. Natural design tells you that. The, the, the culture can't survive if this is perpetuated. It's unnatural. And uh, attempts to say that it's natural, normal, or anything like that, actually, it's out of divine order. So if you just think of sin being anything that's falling short of God's order and design, very clearly it's, it's sinful. Anyway, so, so this creates many, many problems. So God disapproves of this through the Bible, and you find that in times of revival, they actually got rid of the land from all the Sodomites and broke down the temple, which was dedicated to the gods that required this as part of the worship. So there's, there's quite a bit on the Bible in it. You can, you can read it yourself. And uh, so in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, Sodomites, those who practice this cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So rather than argue and debate over the rights and all that kind of thing, we should realize that the marriage bed should be treated with honor and not defiled by anything. So I've had to help some couples because they were taught that in marriage, anything goes. I said, that's not true. It's a lie. Whoever told you that told you a lie. It's not anything goes. Marriage is a covenant of love. Therefore, if one of the spouses is uncomfortable, you should not demand this of them. That's not love. That is lust. And it will lead to the person feeling wounded and used and defiled. And it's been quite surprising. It's in America at a camp not so long ago, a leader's camp, how many, how widespread the sin was and the shock to realize it was a sin. And these are good, these are passionate people, believers in Christ. But in the marriage, there's defilement in the sexual union, which is associated with these demonic powers. We had a massive move of God for men and women to be free. I had a one recently which quite surprised me because it was the woman who brought it into the marriage. I thought, what? I said, how come that happened? And then I, re I asked and inquired a bit more and realized that she had been sodomized as a young girl. The spirit of sodomy had entered her, and now it became a part of her thinking mentality and her functioning as a way that she pleased a man. 
So see, this is, you see defilement. It's not so easy to talk about all this stuff, but you just got to talk about it because it's a problem. And if we don't call it what it is, then there's an issue. So the next one, which is a significant issue, is the issue of pornography. That's a whole topic of its own. Let me just give you a few things on it. Matthew 5, 28, whoever looks on a woman and lusts after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So in the Old Testament, God for, forbade certain practices or actions. In the New, Jesus lifts the standard and says it's not about the externals, it's about the heart condition. So a man or woman may not commit adultery physically, but in the heart have already sinned the sin of adultery because of the realm of fantasy. So pornography, or porneia, graphy, originally it was the writings of prostitutes that were sold to stir and, and stir up sexual passions and, and thoughts. Then now, of course, it's become a whole industry, a multi-million, million-dollar industry. And behind that industry, you've got, it's full of uh, uh, young people who have been, many have been trafficked. In other words, they're not there because of their free will, they have been captured, kidnapped, taken away from their families. This is someone's daughter, someone's son, and they're now operating as sexual slaves, and there's images being taken of them put all over the internet. And people either watch it freely or they pay for it, and if they pay for it, they're engaging the spirit of prostitution. So remember, if people, God designed sex to bond you, so then if you're going to be involved in any form of pornography, you're going to be bonded to something. There's going to come emotional and spiritual attachments through which demons defile you. Now, I had a lady ring me up when I was just beginning out in ministry. She said, Pastor, could you pray for me? Could you pray for me? I said, what's the problem? She said, my husband made me watch some pornography. And uh, I said, okay, so, so what's the problem you have? And she said, as soon as I watched it, I felt something into my eyes. I said, okay, so how, you, how did that affect you? And uh, he, she said, I now feel numb like a piece of meat. Wow. Wow. Now, just the one exposure. And I said, I know exactly what to do. We don't need to meet. I'll pray for you over the phone. And I prayed to break the attachment to all of the spirits behind the pornography and commanded spirits of death and lust and perversion to leave her and immediately the feelings left her, just like that. Another young a pastor rang me and he was really upset because his son, I think, had uh, they'd been very careful with computers. His son had gone next door to the neighbor's boys. Their father watched pornography. Kids got access to the pornography. And so the result was he got an exposure to it. The first exposure addicted him. It's the spirit behind it. And so he was drawn and then began to watch it. And then, of course, eventually he was discovered and uh, the, the pastor was ringing to find out how to, how to restore him, what to do. And I said, well, and I gave him the advice what to do and the guy was restored and he's free of it all now. So it's a very big problem, isn't it? See, so, so, here's, here's, so, so pornography is extremely addictive. It's like a drug. It really is like a drug that people turn to for comfort and, and, and so on. And it, but it's not only addictive, it's incredibly defiling because you bond and attach to spirits of prostitution. Some of the girls are trafficked. Others, the majority of them, have been sexually abused. So you're now 
being engaged and involved with the spirit of slavery, being engaged and involved with the spirit of, uh, of, uh, of perversion, and, and it's horrendous. And, and so young people today can get access to it so easily on their phones. It's now become a significant problem with young men. They don't know how to relate to a woman because all they've seen has been perversion. So they're putting pressure on young girls, and the girls are now going through experiences they should never have. Never, not even in marriage. So this is the difficulty. So watching porn opens you directly to demonic spirits. It's an invitation to them because you're engaging the same spirits that were there in the Old Testament, the same gods. Watching porn will rewire your neural pathways. So the more you watch it, the more, because there's strong emotions connected to it and, and uh, so on, the neural pathways begin to become programmed in your mind and then it affects your ability to be intimate sexually in marriage. You actually become hardened in your heart. It leads to emotional dependency and addiction. And then and it, the next thing it does is it creates expectations in marriage that can never be met. Just real people don't do that stuff and it's not like that. It's not how real life works. It's an image, an image designed to seduce and draw people in. It's, it's a very big problem. And, uh, so, and behind it are strong spirits. So it creates unrealistic expectation. It leads and bonds us to fantasy and then hardens our heart and stops the flow of intimacy. So watching it over time then opens your life to memory flashbacks during sexual intimacy. So now, even while you're being intimate with your spouse, images are starting to flood to mind of something else and someone else. That's adultery. The marriage bed is being defiled. So it's, it's a really, here's the last thing, uh, and there's probably many other things, but here's, here's an important thing, is that if a man is engaged in, in pornography in his marriage, he now has opened a hole in the spirit world. He's uncovered his marriage and family. He now is no longer standing in the gate to protect them. Now demons have a legal right because of the failure of the head to come and afflict the wife with rejection because she's been rejected by him in favor of another. And open the door for all the family then to come into, through various ways, engagement with pornography and sexual sin. It's a, that's, so, so when the husband gets right with God, then the family can be restored. Otherwise, they're left very uncovered and have wrestles they should never, never have to deal with. And so many times we've, we've got experiences, uh, things happening in our life that, that because our parents didn't deal with stuff and they didn't know what to do. Another dimension then is the area of adultery, sexual relationship out of marriage. And of course, adultery has to do with the whole area of, fan it starts with fantasy about someone else, flirting with someone else, but adultery is first in the heart. And you may never be physically involved in adultery, but an adultery spirit can enter the marriage, dividing the marriage. Now, these are quite serious things, aren't they? Uh, so that defiles the marriage bed in the heart. The heart divided can't attach. So that's the same thing with the area of pornography. Usually there's masturbation goes with it. And so now you're joined to something else you can't attach. 
So it's a very, it becomes very much a physical thing and there's no heart bonding. Manipulation in sexual intimacy in marriage is another way that the marriage is defiled. It's called witchcraft, where the husband uses the wife for physical release, but has no care for her experience and for tender loving her and, and helping her have a, a satisfactory experience. That is a manipulation. That's just witchcraft. It introduces defilement. But also the wife may withhold from the husband until she gets her will and her way or whatever and use sex as a weapon in the marriage. That is introducing the spirit of witchcraft, Jezebel, into the marriage. So you understand that through the Bible, spiritual worship, the connection and intimacy with God was connected to having a clean heart. That Engagement with idols and demonic beings was involved and connected with sexual perversions. They just go hand in hand. So if I want to walk with God and deepen my intimacy with him, I have to be free from sexual defilement. If I want to build an intimate relationship and bring spiritual covering in my marriage, I have to be free of sexual defilement. If I want to develop intimacy and the capacity to give and receive love, I must be free from sexual defilement. So <laughs> the Bible is very clear on, isn't it? Okay, well, we've covered a fair bit of stuff. I'll just give you some steps to, to moving out of it. And, uh, and, of course, there's not just the issue of getting free. There's the issue of staying free. Because the problem, for example, with pornography is the distortion of the mind patterns and the dulling of the ability to respond sexually, which creates sexual problems and intimacy. So the, it's not just about the, the, the freedom encounter. It's actually your journey to commit to being a godly person, a vessel of honor. I can't go into all that will be involved in that, but we will talk a little bit about how to walk in freedom on the last session. So how do I get cleansed from sexual defilement? Jesus came to get people free. He died on the cross carrying shame. He was abused. He was stripped naked. He was violated in many different ways. He understands what this is like. So at the cross, he's taken uh, the, the whole power of this. He broke it. So I must, uh, if I want to be free, I have to then firstly acknowledge the sexual defilement. I've got to acknowledge I've got a struggle going on. You've got to acknowledge it. There's no freedom without first saying, actually, I'm not doing well in this area. It's a recurring problem. Keeps coming up. I'm having flashbacks. I turn my heart towards things I shouldn't be. I find I haven't got power over this thing. It seems to be a force in it. Or we're struggling in marriage. There's blocks and in intimacy. Uh, there's something wrong that I need to deal with. Secondly, there needs to be repentance. We need to repent of the engagement with sexual sin. Now, sometimes, and I didn't mention it, sometimes these issues are generational. The defilement began before you were even born. There was uh, engagement with uh, sexual perversion of some kind. Uh, there was uh, sexual abuse in the family. So now you're dealing with a generational spirit. For some people, their sexual defilement was with demons, either unwillingly or willingly. I had one of my first encounters with dealing with people who are demonized were a couple of girls in the high school and uh, through prayer they came to the light and we got to find out who they were, but they would go to the uh, graveyard and call on spirits and then be involved in sexual relationships with them. Called an incubus spirit, in some cultures they call it a spirit husband or a spirit wife. But these are real problems. They go together. 
So once you kind of understand it, you realize, man, I just want to be pure, I want to be clean, I want to be troubled with this stuff. I don't want to lift my hands and have unclean things coming in. I don't want to look at people and see them as objects. I want to actually love people for who they are and be able to have a loving heart. Oh, that's who I'm called to be. We're called to be like our Father. Be, be holy as I am holy. Not impossible. It's just there that there's a warfare around it. Okay? Okay, so we need to repent. Uh, if there's uh, any uh, attachments to people, I need to renounce them. I need to renounce attachments to sexual partners. If you've been watching pornography, attachment to images, attachment to websites, there needs to be actually a severing of any spiritual attachments that were formed. Because they're there. And uh, if it's to fantasy of some kind, sometimes it's just fantasy dramas. For women, sometimes they're caught up with fantasy dramas of romance or in books or in, in, in TV. Or many women now have been caught up into pornography. It's just extraordinary. It's become a huge issue. And so we just break those soul ties or renounce those soul ties, and then we need to remove the defilement. That means I need to get rid of the demons, and I need to actually now commit my life now to growing in purity. If there's objects in the house associated with previous sexual partners or anything to do with pornography, anything to do with sexual sin, I need to remove it. They are doorways for demons to come in. We need to then set up so that our life is going to follow a different path. They're very simple. Acknowledge, repent, forgive the people that hurt me, receive the forgiveness of the Lord, break the soul ties or any reactions I've formed to being hurt, and then ask the Lord for deliverance and freedom. And, uh, and, and there it is. Now, sometimes uh, there's a need for house cleansing. They've got stuff there that needs to be chucked out. Go and do it quickly, or it'll become a source of attraction. For some, it may be a computer needs to be cleaned up, totally cleaned out. Every, everything in there that could be a focal point for a demon to draw you back into sin. It's like just a seductive thing. It's just very, very powerful. So we need to do those kind of things. Sometimes there's a need for reconciliation and a good, honest talk with our spouse. Then they, now, you need to be led by the Holy Spirit in that because this is about deepening intimacy, not shocking them to the point where now everything blows up and it got worse suddenly. You're led by the Spirit in that kind of thing. But the first step to all freedom is dealing with my own stuff. If you've been dishonest and there's been these things in your life, you need to get them cleaned up. So how about that? How about that? Hey?